How you doing, Arizona Nation? Uh, we got two podcasts in a week to make up for the time we've had out. Welcome to another edition. I'm your host, Dax. I got LG on the line, and we're going to break down uh, the the weeks we've missed since our last podcast. Uh, some more talk about Yates' uh, dismissal from the program and what we're expecting in the upcoming Oregon State game. All after the break. I've been patiently waiting for a track they slowed on. You stun if you moan in your ass and get rolled on. It feels like my flow's been hot for so long. Talk, 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 talk. Loud and proud with it. The Lord's blessings leave me lyrically inclined. Work your technique right here. Work your technique right here. Flawless technique. Flawless technique. There you go. I ain't even got to try to shine. We're going to practice today like we don't know nobody out here. Guards and seamstress that tailor fitted my pain. Oh, yeah. I see it, eh? I see the swivel in the hips today, eh? They about to feel it today, eh? I got scriptures in my brain. I can spit at your dame straight out the good book. Look. You got to get your hands on him. Dish raggy. Finish the play. 50 feet, no man, warrior. Swing swords like Conan. Nice. There it is. There it is. All right, LG, how you doing? Welcome back, man. It's been a while since we've been on the podcast. Yeah, it's it's been a while, and uh, but doing great, and uh, looking forward to the Oregon State game. Actually, uh, think it's a game we can win, but I but they are they are much improved over what everybody expects. So we'll see how that turns out. All right, amigo. Well, everyone, uh, remember we are now on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Remember we're the uh, Echo Romeo Alpha uh, uh, podcast. When you do enter your search, follow Gabe at Gabe underscore Encinas and Brandon at U of A Bear Down 07 and Javi at Players Program. You follow the podcast on Podcast Zona. You can visit us at, on Facebook at the Arizona Podcast and you can email us at ArizonaPodcast at gmail.com. Please email, tweet, uh, Facebook posts, uh, share uh, on Facebook and retweet uh, the podcast podcast links for us we'd really appreciate you do that and if you want to rate us on itunes or in google uh, play we'd appreciate that finally be sure to visit uh, playersprogramu.com and arizona azds uh, recruiting for all the latest on arizona football all right lg we were just talking before um we started the podcast and we kind of wanted to take um you know, last time we podcast, we were reviewing week two, uh, the NAU game. We, we previewed Texas Tech. So that was quite a while ago. Uh, there's been six games since then. Uh, Texas Tech, UCLA, Colorado uh, on a very positive uptick for us. And then Washington, SC, and Stanford. Uh, obviously not with the results we'd like. Uh, why don't you give me your three-game summary on the uh, defensive um, showing at Texas Tech and uh, the 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 solid win there, and then um, our Molson Ice uh, event there at UCLA, and then a nice back-and-forth offensive battle at Colorado. All right, yeah, that's uh, the Texas Tech game. A lot of people didn't. A lot of people didn't believe that we would win that game, and. I felt pretty good about it. Uh, Texas Tech's actually turned out to be a better team than what people thought, and um, I think as a, as overall as a team, they they played well. Um, there were a few mistakes along the way there, but for the most part, uh, they did everything they needed to do to win that game and uh, showed definite improvement over uh, you know the uh, allowing so many points to Northern Arizona. The defense actually stood tall. The offense could have done a little more, I think. Um, I think they played some conservative football there at times. And in the end, they got done what they needed to get done to get the win. 
I think sometimes our staff gets in a habit, and that's one game where they think they got in a habit of trying to play not to lose. And uh, they did win the game, and so you know, kudos to them. They got it right, and so don't want to jump all over the staff. They they actually did a decent job in that game. Um, I guess my compare my complaint with uh, both uh, with the games is we get a, s- a slow start in the first quarter in almost every game, and. I think that's where we need to come out and, and dominate and come out or come out ready to play a little better prepared. But for some reason, we just have had a slow start after slow start after slow start. And it's really a wears on the team. Um, it puts us in a bad spot, put it that way. But yeah, then the next- I think that's been a long, a long standing trend. The, Especially with Rich Rod, you know, this can be a high-tempo offense with the end zone. But with Rich Rod, I mean, sometimes the defense would be off the field for, you know, like five minutes of real time before they'd have to go back out and defend if it was a three and out. And and sometimes, and to your point, uh, even now, the defense might have to hold up for a quarter, two quarters, three quarters before the offense really gets rolling. And sometimes they just crack. Yeah, and when you when you go into that uh – which we'll talk about the other games later, but Texas tech, there were times when we were on the field a little too much, but I I think overall the team performed uh, much improved over what they had the first two weeks. And so we were looking at a positive movement and then we got into the next week. And so um, that, that turned out really good with UCLA. Uh, UCLA was a team that's got talent and people forget that they started off so bad, but, they probably have the, you know, they're in the top three or four recruiting in the conference every year. So it's not like their cupboard was bare and they've got Kelly's supposed to be a good coach and he's starting to pull it together. So, um, and we can see that, but they could, they could very well have beaten us. But I think again, we came out, we made some mistakes along the way. We, we, we let them stay in. We, we kind of played conservative, kind of played, not to lose, and it worked out again. But again, it was another tight game, and we did we did get the win in that game. So it's really happy. Again, I, I think it showed progress, even though some people believed that it it was bad at first because we had barely beaten UCLA. But you can see how they've improved drastically as the as the weeks have gone on this year. Yeah, in so, fact, uh, UCLA uh, has a, a direct shot to the Pac-12 uh, South uh, championship. As long as they take care of business for the remainder of the schedule, they control their own destiny. So despite their uh, slow start, and this was actually the case last year when they beat us at the Rose Bowl, uh, at that point in time, they had the opportunity to control their own destiny. So it's interesting that despite two uh, sequential bad starts for Chip Kelly, uh, he's in that position. I'm not ready to anoint Chip. I'm not much of a chip uh, believer uh, but to your point there's certainly a lot of talent on that team and, and they've shown it against teams like ASU this week and so um, you know I wouldn't dismiss them uh, out of hand at any time no I wouldn't either and I'm not like you I'm not a big chip fan um, I think that when he took over the Oregon program it was already built and I think this is his first chance to really build his own and and I think it's taken him a little longer than he expected um, I'm not sure how that's working out. You know, I, I know it's it's getting better as the weeks go on, but long term, we'll have to see where that all develops to. Um, but they they've they've improved drastically. The win was actually turns out to be a good win for us over UCLA. So, um, 
again, both games, Texas Tech and UCLA, our rushing presence was there. And I, I make that I make that statement on the comparison to what happens from from that point forward. So, but uh, that that's my that's my feelings on UCLA. We we did what we did. We did what it took to win, and that's and we come away with a win, and we're happy with that. Let's make a little progress and move forward. Survive in advance. That's it. That's it. It's it's really one game at a time, and and as a coach, it's easy to it's it, it's to focus on one game, but so many people get distracted looking long term. Oh, we got to win this game, and then we got oh we got we got USC coming up, or we got somebody coming up, and and to get distracted. And I think that's part of what happened in the Northern Arizona game. We were playing. We had a big lead. We played a lot of young players after that. We were trying to think down the road. This game's in the bag. We've got we've got Texas Tech coming up, and I think that's what they did. Is I think they allowed Northern Arizona to score all those points. But um, like I said, that we're we've we've moved on from there. We're we, we're looking really good going into Colorado. And um, I think that's the next game up. And so we, we got a good win there. But I think something changed in Colorado that kind of bothered me even with the win. I think that uh, I was disappointed in the amount of or the lack of the amount of ball carry, rushing yards. And everything was about the pass in that game. And I think uh, I think that didn't do us any good I, I as far as setting this up for the next few games. Everything was about the pass. So when we came out, when we came out in the Washington game, we came out pass heavy, um, and it wasn't like a totally lopsided rich rod thing where we just pass every play, but uh, or or something like that. But it, it was too much dependent on the pass. We abandoned our running game, and when we we have consecutive years of leading the league in rushing, we still got all those horses in the backfield. Yes, the line was a little. The line wasn't exactly opening all the holes they needed to, but they also weren't protecting like they should have. And so um, you still got to go back to your meat and, you know, meat and potatoes plays, you know, and that's your run game. I think the problem with the run game was a lot of it has to do, and this goes back to coaching. We had, uh, we sat in the stands and watched and we uh, evaluate and things like that. But when you're running between the tackles three plays in a row, and you've got your small back in it. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> and then so we finally, there was a series where we had three runs in the middle, and it was between the tackles, and it was, it was all with uh, the smaller backs in there. I think Darius Smith was maybe the one in there at the time. And then when they finally brought um, Bright House in, they ran him to the outside. <laughs> and I know he's got the speed to get out there, but we, when we were running up the middle, why didn't we have some more size in there? And uh, that's that. That's kind of a, a play calling versus personnel in the game issue. So um, I, I just didn't see where we were making any progress running for two or three yards in the up the middle per play with the small back when we could have had a bigger back in there. Yeah, where we could have changed. I, I would point out that that's a pretty classic uh, end zone move. He likes that interior zone run, and he really doesn't like who he has in the lineup. And and he'll run it, uh, you know, 
multiple times, even if he's getting uh, very little um, yardage on it. I don't know if that's a philosophical thing where he feels like if he's going to have that horizontal uh, stretch uh, along with a vertical stretch, you have to th- you have to threaten to run up the middle if you're going to throw those uh, wide receiver screens, or if it's sort of a, a coach hardheadedness. I-, I would like to uh, just go back a little bit on the um, Colorado game. Um, I could see your point about the offensive line not um, you know delivering in the UW game, but I would largely put that up to the talent differential there. But against Colorado, I really didn't have a problem with it, and part of the reason of that is is uh, Colorado's uh, run defense actually uh, has a pretty high ranking nationally, but their pass defense was pretty porous. So in that case, yeah. and, I, and I'm not a big end zone fan, I'm very critical. I would say that's just playing to the strengths uh, or to the weakness of your opponent and the strengths of your offense. So that that didn't bother me as much. I understand the. You know, you got to make sure you you have some balance. But in that case, I think it's fine to to lean on the passing game. I I I, I as well agree with that. I just it's uh, from that point forward, though we have been that was the game where we went mostly pass. And then when we look at Washington, we there were points where it looked like do we ever run the ball? And then they would run the ball and they would run it right up the middle with the little back, and it's yeah. like. Okay, guys, we got to mix some things up. And uh, when you're sitting, of course, you know, you've been to the games and when you're sitting in the stands and you're trying to evaluate what's going on, you're watching the personnel going in and off the field. Um, you know, a lot of fans just when they watch the game, they watch the ball, wherever yeah. the ball, where their eyes go. So they don't see the things on the backside of the play. And I think right. when you you've had a chance to coach a little bit, you start to watch other things. And certainly the line um, had a few cracks against Colorado, but overall did pretty good. But against Washington, we were we were really outmanned on the line. Oh, without question, yeah, it was a mess. So, so when we were running, we needed to play every play to our advantage. Um, the one thing we don't have, and this is this is what kills us right now. If you look back at uh, Khalil Tate's rushing success over the years, uh, especially his first year. Um, there were a lot of plays that were simply counter plays. It was a it was a it was a hand a handoff one way, and it was an option to keep, and he would go the other way. So it was a misdirection because you you would your running back goes one play, and then you counter back the other direction. When we have a one back offense, and Khalil Tate is not looking to run, then yeah. there is no there's no there's no fool in anybody. There's no fool in anybody, and so that that's where the problem is. So when we go to a, a if you look in the games, we've had a couple games where we've had two backs in the backfield, um, and I think Mazzoni actually made those changes to put that in there so we could get a counter because the defenses are getting very aggressive on us, especially with our line problems. And when we when we got into Washington and and um, it just in Southern Cal, their talent was better on those lines. You got to have a little misdirection. You got to have the ability to do that. And and it seems like uh, it seems like Khalil Tate isn't looking to run as often. I know he's had a nice run here not long ago, uh, nice fifty-seven yard touchdown run. But other than that, it's just been spotty. And he's 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 so much more willing to slide and or take the loss or just throw the ball away. 
than he is to to take off and really try to get down the field and pick up the needed yardage. So he's not really the threat he has been or was in the past. And so there's whatever reason that's whether it's mental or whatever, uh, he's had some setbacks there. Yeah, heck, at this point, when he takes off running, I'd be happy to have him throw the ball away rather than run out of bounds, you know, six yards behind the line of scrimmage. Oh, yeah. And and what we're missing, if you look back when we led the league in rushing, we all it's been those last few years, we had the counter option. It was always a counter because the quarterback was an option. We don't we don't really have that right now. And we've had it a little bit, but not a lot and not enough to actually make it a threat. And so we become very predictable on our plays. We've become very predictable. And it's almost as if the defense knows what we're running before we snap the ball. And so. Well, let, let's talk about that a little bit. I, I'd really like to get your opinion on this. So Yates, and, you know, feel free to go on any tangent you want here. Yates gets fired. A lot of the argument is. Uh, he's had a chance to recruit, quote, his guys. Uh, the recruiting's fallen short. The development's fallen short. Uh, the defense has improved, certainly from the Castile days. Uh, but even relative to last year, it's taken a, a step back. It's not continuing to progress. So Yates is out. Rushing's out. I, I don't think a lot of people are losing sleep over rushing going. And I'm sure most Arizona fans are okay with Yates going. So Mazzoni's yeah. here. He's new. He hasn't, quote, established a system. But here, here's my pushback on that, and, and I, this is the larger question I, you know, I'd like to hear your opinion on, but feel free to chime in on Yates because we certainly want to talk about it. If, if Noel Mazzoni has been here at UCLA and at ASU, is he really bringing anything new, and does, does he really warrant that time to, quote, establish his system? Now, certainly you could argue establishing his guys, but he's such a known commodity. I, I, what's there to figure out with him? Okay, that's a very good point. I'm glad you asked that question because I was already I was already going to get there at one point or another. Uh, okay, Mazzoni's been coaching since basically 1980, and he's been in the college ranks most of that time. And he has longest stint anywhere was five years, but he's been all over the country. Everyone who is coaching today has seen Mazzoni's system. Mazzoni is. I don't want to say he's. Um, I don't want to say he's limited or isolated to where this is all he runs, but he doesn't mix it up enough for whatever reason. He doesn't seem to bring new things into the fold, and so. Well, let, let me say it. I, I think that he's a career. Know. He's a career coordinator. Yes. Is that too much of a slight? No. No, I don't think so. I, he and he's been a good one over the years, but over the last ten years, um, and this goes back to A and M. Even with the talent they were drawing at A and M, and now, I albeit they were playing in the SEC West, I give them that. But he became very predictable in his calls. Um, I remember last year, and I'm, I'm going to go back to last year. A couple of games, we were at the USC game, and we were sitting up in the stands. And watching the calls and um, another good friend of mine that was there, um, also a coach, former coach. And we were calling plays before the ball was snapped on both sides of the line of scrimmage from USC and Arizona. 
when they, no matter who was on the offense, because USC's offense was so stagnant. Holy cow, they were terrible. And um, the problem is Arizona was equally terrible. And partly because that was the first year of Mazzoni here, and he was so limited on what he could call. I mean, USC was terrible last year. Now, this year, they seem to be doing a little better. We're still calling, we're calling a little more, there's a little more variety in our calls now. But I think one of the things is, Rich Rod would line up and line at the line, and you didn't know what he was going to run based on the lineup. And I think Arizona changes their lineup how they set up in formation based on what they're running. And a lot of times that tips teams off on what they're doing. And so there's a couple of formations when they set up, the other team seems to know what's coming before it's snapped. And and I, and what we could pick out from the stands is that when they go into certain little formations, we pretty much know what they're doing. And the problem is, is that two years ago, if they had lined up in that formation two years ago when Khalil Tate was running, you still had the wild card of you didn't know what Tate was going to do. You don't have that right now. And with that there, it seems like everybody knows what Arizona's running. They know where to go. Um, they pin their ears back. And when they put that many people in the box because they know what's coming, there's just not a lot, not a lot you can you can do with that if Tate is not going to run the ball because he is the other option. And even and and I and I we could go back and say, well, is are they not letting him run? And I got to tell you, I don't believe that. No, I, I don't. don't be- I don't believe that for a second because either. Gunnell, Gunnell, the one thing they wanted to do this year was redshirt him and put some strength on him. They even talked about that preseason before fall camp. Uh, at the beginning of fall camp, they talked about the 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 need for him to add about ten to fifteen pounds of muscle because he's he's six six, but he's only two ten. And um, certainly in high school, that's enough, but not at the college level. And so they talked about that, and there was a desire to uh, redshirt him to add that ten to fifteen pounds of muscle so, and strength. So, so why why burn his redshirt and have him uh, have him play as much as he has? You know, I I don't know, I don't know, and but when I look at the the talent he has, I mean, I my concern with him playing right now is more that I don't want to see him hurt. Before or get a ready. concussion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and look at how many quarterbacks this year have already have lost. They've lost in both the NFL and in college for, uh, broken collarbones where they got slammed down. You know, and it takes one hit. And he's just not physically as strong as he needs to be. So my concern was that getting him hurt. Um, when you look at the pros, prospect of keeping him around for four more years, I don't see that happening either, though. If he's as good as he looks that he's going to be, I I don't think he stays four years. I, I think I think he only has to stay three to go in the draft. And I think if he has good seasons, he'll be out of here. Now, that's projecting that he has good seasons, you know, good performance. but. Yeah, the the only uh, way I can sort of reconcile it in my mind, because uh, his red shirt's gone, you know, his four year window's gone. So, um, is that you know they can recruit another guy, and you know if he plays for three years, by then it's time to bring in the next guy. And so I I don't have a ton of dyspepsia about it, especially the fact that Mazzoni and um, 
and Sumlin have been able to bring in so many, you know, really good quarterback candidates and, and subsequently lose oh, yeah. them, uh, too, has been well documented. But that's the only way I can kind of reconcile it in my mind. I certainly would have liked, as you point out, to see them um, redshirt them and let them mature, but certainly try to get them the four games and all that jazz. Uh, but, you know, to my understanding, uh, someone said at the start of the season that they weren't planning on redshirting them. So, well, they've certainly succeeded in that. Um, so what I'm taking away from your, your spin on Mazzoni is, um, I think we kind of come down on the same side of the, uh, the same side of the coin in this regard. Uh, He's a known quantity. Um, that's not necessarily a complete indictment on him, but it does make him predictable. And without the wild card of Tate or maybe superior execution, hopefully we're going to see from Gunnell in the future. it, It makes it the kind of team that, uh, the defense can really jump all over. And as we've hit with uh, more superior talent here with the last few teams with, with uh, Washington and um, um, SC, despite their litany of injuries, I still think they have a ton of talent. Um, It it was just too much for the, the cats to overcome. And then uh, as you point out on that Stanford game, Tate did have that one great run, but boy, I got to tell you, LG, I've tweeted out a ton of, um, of short little videos as I've watched the games where Tate will get out in the open where he could actually do a little running and either he goes straight lateral or he just like falls over his own feet and lands on the ground. He is completely unwilling to take contact. It's bizarre. Yeah, that it, it is. And that it, we don't know if that has to do with his injuries from before uh, quarterbacks, players, players get gun shy. Or if it has something to do with the fact that he was being hammered not to, you can't afford to get injured, you won't go anywhere if you don't get injured. Well, you're not going anywhere if you don't perform either, <laughs> And as far as the NFL or anything else. So I, I'm not sure what the problem is. There's obviously some, some hiccups there in his game plan as far as where he wanted to go. I know he wanted to, to make the NFL. Um, and Quarterbacks throw the ball, right? Isn't that what he said after that game against uh... – Gosh, last year he opened up against – well, I guess I can look it up here. It can't be that hard. Um, and they, everyone's like, why didn't you run? Where's the Heisman candidate? He's like, quarterbacks throw the ball. The BYU, yes. man, that was yep. just absolutely brutal. Yes. I, I don't so I, I don't buy I don't, that he's being told to do that. That's that's my whatever no, tinfoil hat theory. The one thing that I've heard is consistent out of Sumlin, which which is, you know, Sumlin's not necessarily a bad coach. I mean, people want to put all the blame on Sumlin, and I have been very harsh on Sumlin. I put I've been harsh on Sumlin because Sumlin's a head coach, so he's ultimately the one that's responsible. But um, he's a lot like, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I, I put it on, uh, I posted it on online and stuff. But uh, he's a lot like Lou Holtz in the fact that he 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 lets his assistants do the job, do their job that he brought them in for. Lou Holtz was a manager that allowed his assistants to run assistants to run with things. I think the difference is, is that Lou Holtz had more, I want to say better assistants that knew what they were doing a little better. Um, I think Mazzoni, I don't think it's that he doesn't know what he's doing. I think he is, he is stuck in his system. And I don't think he's bringing anything new to the table. And like you said, uh, it, his system is saturated. I mean, yeah. everybody no quantity. He's been he's been at three Pac-12 schools. He's been uh, in the Big Ten. He's been in the uh, ACC. Uh, he's been in the SEC. 
everybody knows what he's doing. And so without something special, without somebody special in there, like a tape run, a running tape from a couple of years ago or something like that, we don't have some something special to explode with. Right. Then he becomes too one dimensional, too predictable. And other teams are, are taking advantage of that. And we spoke about this a little bit before we started the podcast. Um, you can make a reasonable argument that someone really didn't have a lot of time to put together his class. And, you know, Yates was already there. In fact, the players were advocating for him as head coach. Um, obviously, that would have been an interesting history. And um, so... Mazzoni has a retirement house up in the valley. He's a few years away. It's probably pretty easy for someone to call on his buddy and say, hey, give me a couple years and then I'll bring in your replacement. So maybe this is an obvious transition from his defensive coordinator. And and as I was telling you earlier, I think it's certainly reasonable for um, uh, someone to try to get uh, Yates out early and get his replacement so that he can hit the early uh, signing period uh, running hard. And he even mentioned in the press conference that they have a plan for the bye week to address that. So uh, it just makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then maybe the ultimate transition of uh, the offensive coordinator might come as early as this offseason. We'll, we'll obviously see. Uh, so Yates or someone may be building his uh, program. He just didn't want to make an overcorrection after having to put together his staff um you know quickly when I, he got hired I, I i right there yeah i'd say that's almost the way i'd put it if i was going to put it yeah you're you use different words and different alignments but it's the same same thing and i i was uh very adamant at the end of last year i, I talked about the fact or before the season began that uh, i think both future coordinators are already on staff and people are like what no way, you know, they'll go for a big name. And I'm, I'm like, no, I really think, and, and I'm going to tell you, I think both future coordinators were on staff and still are on staff. One of them being uh, obviously uh, uh, Cecil. And why don't you ch- talk about what you think Chuck's going to bring at DC? I think he's going to bring a little different approach. I think first off, I think he's going to have uh, on the recruiting side, he's going to have a little more root, uh, a little more, impact in the state of arizona because the people around here really even though it's been years ago he he still has that name and so i think his recruiting is going to be a little different but i think also he's got a uh he's got a little nfl experience to see as well as playing he he did some coaching and so i think he brings a little more um i think he's going to bring a little more variety to his coverage and a little more uh, aggression, and I, I see him being more aggressive. The one thing I was disappointed with is this year is is the total. You know, remember he talked about being handcuffed. Uh, uh, Yates talked about being kind of handcuffed with Rich Rod because Rich Rod was a micromanager, and he kind of got in, involved with the defense and wouldn't let him do certain things. You don't have that with Coach Sumlin. Coach Sumlin's letting Yates do his own thing. And that's why cutting him loose is if Yates is not performing, then Yates is gone uh, because Yates was the guy running the defense. So if it's something that disappointed me with Yates is that the lack of aggressiveness. And when we aren't aggressive, we, we don't have the talent in our defensive backfield. We have good defensive backs, don't get me wrong. 
but they're not able to cover for five to eight seconds in pass coverage. And look at how much lack of pressure we've had. And we've got to find a way to get more pressure on the quarterback. And that, that's where the defensive coordinator has to put together a game plan. And he has to make adjustments throughout the game, during the game, and especially at the half. And so what happened is we played really good against Washington on the defensive side and really good against USC again on the defensive side. For a half. Um, for, for one half. And even the USC, we gave up one offensive drive against USC in the first half. So USC was already figuring that out. Um, but the second half came out and there were no adjustments made. There was no pickup in pressure, no change in coverage. Everything was the same. And because of that, when Washington and USC went into the half, they made adjustments and we did not know how to react. That falls back on the defensive coordinator. To me, that is why he was fired. And Stanford, we just never stopped Stanford period. And Stanford, didn't score that many points all year. They they haven't done anything offensively all year. And also, we made them look really good again. And I think that was where we drew the line. I, I've made the argument, and I, I still make the statement, when when someone says 133 points, yeah, but 40 of those, 40 plus of those were, were given up by the offense and special teams. You can't, you can't fumble the ball, a muff punt on the seven-yard line and give a team like Washington the ball on your own seven and expect them to come up with nothing. Yeah, they flashed that stat <clears throat> during the Stanford game that the Wildcats um, on uh, points off takeaways ranks 11th in the Pac-12. And so to your point, teams are um, – getting the ball in favorable positions. You know, you could talk about the USC, that first uh, field goal uh, came off of uh, a, a muffed punt. You know, Joyner had a fumble uh, on a reception that set them up uh, in good position. Um, in the UW game, obviously, um, Tate gave them a touchdown on whatever, on the Tater play. I'm calling that the Tater. And uh, oh, yeah. where, he, where he ran back for it, threw it out of his left hand. And then, uh, you know, UW didn't have any traction offensively. And coming into that game, UW's uh, offensive red zone efficiency was, was, uh, abysmal and so Arizona was really holding up well I would argue even in the Stanford game um, they held up pretty well uh, given takeaways and average field position Arizona has been in uh, a deficit on uh, starting field position which is a huge predictor for wins um, uh, pretty much all year long so I've been an apologist for Yates Um, I listened to uh, Jason Shears uh, rundown on uh, recruits that didn't make it, and you know, in life, you can pick your endpoints and, and make your arguments based on that. And we're all we're all bi- uh, prone to our biases, um, and so it was a, it was certainly a long list he rattled off. And honestly, I couldn't defend that. But you know, I think back to the days we were starting Parker Zellers at nose tackle at uh, you know 250 pounds, and um, I don't know that I would put that much of an indictment on Yates. Um, I'm okay with him going. I'm not a huge fan. Uh, but it's interesting how it's all played out. Um, 
But I do like your point about Cecil and specifically the aggressiveness and the variability of his defense. I think that's going to be a real positive thing. And I do think his recruiting is going to be a big uptick, not only with the NFL experience with Jeff Fisher and the Titans and being a defensive coordinator in the NFL, which I think really matters to recruits. Um, I think that he is, um, you know, he's engaged, he's active on social media and he bleeds red and blue. And I, you know, for whatever reason, call me a homer or whatever. To me, that matters. Um, oh, it does. It does. He bleeds. He bleeds red and blue because he is an alumni and he he loves the university. But he also loves this game of football and he loves to coach and he brings an excitement and an aggressiveness. I, I don't know if aggressiveness is the word, but he brings an intensity to to the game itself. He did it when he was a player. He does it as a coach. People are excited to be around him. And he has a way of doing that. And I, I just see that. That's why when you see me post or something, you'll see me say, this is, this is, and he hasn't proven himself at Arizona yet. He hasn't even coached his first game yet, but it is a step up as far as the intensity, um, the, the, the experience. And I just think he's going to bring so much more to the table. Um, well, I, 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 I won't. Glance. I won't spoil the offensive coordinator on the staff. Let's let's keep that as a um, a teaser, LG. Let's keep that as a teaser. Um, let's. Um, so you know we've kind of done our little um, review, and my apologies to everyone out there for not getting more consistent podcasts. Last year we had sort of the same start and stop uh, nature. Uh, we're trying to be more consistent. We were trying to be more consistent this year, and and you know we've got more people like LG now. We've got uh, Brandon. We've got um, we've got Gabe at uh, coaching now at North Canyon, and we got Avi. So we've got a little bigger cadre here. So hopefully we can try and smooth out the coverage and and maybe make that transition to basketball with a little more consistency. So we'll try to get that out because I know that's important as a podcast consumer. Um, so coming up to this week, uh, unless there's anything else you want to cover and review LG, I'd like to uh, move forward to Oregon state. Let's, let's go to Oregon state. All right, amigo. Uh, so, so, um, just some interesting facts, you know, um, Javi and I really like to lean on the, uh, the game day, uh, uh, factoids, uh, notes and numbers that the, that they put out from the university. So just some interesting thing here. Obviously everybody knows this is uh, homecoming. Uh, Arizona's, uh, 59, 37 and five all time at homecoming, uh, with two straight homecoming victories. Last time they played Oregon state at homecoming, it was 2004, but we lost that game 28, 14. Um, it's going to be a daytime, uh, kickoff. I haven't had one of those, uh, this season. So we're going to be kicking off at one 30, um, so nice to have a day game, get out, get early, get a little sunshine. It's probably going to be nice and, uh, cool and, uh, should be a, a fun day to get out there. I know some people are a little grumpy. It's earlier, but you know, you can't make anybody happy, right? It kicks off at eight o'clock at night. It's too late. It kicks off at one in the morning. It's too early. I know there's seven hours in between, but you got to kind of take it when you get it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you do. You do. For me, it's a big plus. Uh, uh, my daughter's going to go to the game with me and, uh, we're going to be home before 2 a.m. Yeah, and so, me too. I get like, if I, so, yeah, I agree. If I get a hotel room, I'm not rolling into bed until one or two o'clock. And, you know, you got to get the next day and drive out of town and it'll be nice to get to bed at a reasonable time. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and there, there's, there's just a big plus to it. We, I, I think 
Lately, we've been very good in our homecoming games. Um, like I said, the last time we lost, uh, we had Oregon State loss was like, I think you said 2004. Yeah, that was against and, Oregon State specifically. We've won two straight homecoming games. Yes, and and I, I, I think there's a there is a what I see in the team is there is a little different intensity during homecoming. There's a little more excitement around the stadium, around the field, around the team, around the university, and I think that the players, not to say they raise it up a little, a little bit the last couple of homecomings, but they have really performed well in the last two homecomings. And so I'm thinking we'll get a lift from that, plus it being a day game. Um, I, I think that'll be a good thing for us. Plus the new coach effect, right, with Cecil? Yeah, and, and I don't know how much he can change right away that quick, uh, but just the change in the – just a change in the leadership should should make some kind of a spark. Um, I think it I think it will make a pay off a big difference. I think the biggest thing we have to do, Oregon State, is not a team that just comes out and overpowers you with a run game or or has this wide receiver that's just going to leave you in the dust. Um, they're a team that plays with balance, and they don't. The biggest thing is they don't make mistakes. I think they've had two turnovers the whole year. Um, and again, going back, we have to not turn that ball over. We have to avoid what happened in Washington. We have to avoid what happened against USC. We have to avoid those turnovers because Oregon State's not a team to beat themselves. We're going to have to go out and earn this. Now, that said, I believe we have the talent to do it. We should, we should be able to do it. And I think with the homecoming, I think with the spark, I think we get a win this weekend. I think we kind of right the ship this weekend, and we get within one game of ball eligibility. So. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so last week against Stanford, uh, Khalil Tate had 103 yards rushing on nine carries. J.J. Taylor had 100, a seven on 16 carries. That's the first time that two Arizona teammates have rushed for more than 100 yards in the same game. And ironically, that was in 2017 versus Oregon State. Um, we've had 18 plays go for 40 or more yards, which ranks third in the country behind Memphis and Oklahoma, uh, with two plays uh, last Saturday at Stanford, including that 53-yard uh, Tate touchdown you alluded to. Uh, we're 12th in the country and second in the conference in total offense at 492 yards. Right now on S&P, our offense is coming in at uh, 21. Uh, that's pretty healthy uh, ranking nationally and certainly far uh, exceeds our defensive ranking of 100 four and our special teams ranking of 102 but um it's a big drop we were as high as seventh in the nation um after that UW game um Jalen Johnson caught his first touchdown pass you saw that one at Sanford when uh, at Stanford when Gunnell hit him on uh that post route and it was that was a sick pass and a nasty catch uh so arizona now has had 10 different players catch a touchdown pass this season which is tied with oregon for the highest uh, number of different players to have a touchdown reception in the conference uh jj taylor's now at 3,030 yards uh when he went over the 300 or 
over the 3,000 yard mark against Stanford um, on 525 yards uh, rushing his career. There's nine players who've had over 100 yards receiving on the season. Um, that figure leads the conference with Oregon, Washington State, and Utah all, Utah, Utah all at eight. And I know this isn't the typical uh, Washington State season, but the fact that we spread the ball around more consistently uh, to uh, wide receivers this season, I think is a really good sign. We were replacing a lot of talent at wide receiver last year. I think it was a big question mark, and it's one area that I think Arizona fans need to be uh, pretty happy about how the talents evolve there. Jalen Johnson's coming off some injuries and finally getting right. You guys got like you got guys like Joyner and Dixon and um, just a whole litany of wide receivers that have really stepped up and, and sh- uh, developed well uh, given this opportunity. Um, any any points you want to uh, put on the how the wide receivers have performed, LG? I think I think they've uh, actually the outside. I think. The one player that probably, well, there's been several players that have dropped a few balls that should have been caught early in the year, but they're very young players. And I think the last few games, they've really been stepping up. And I think wide receiver is not as weak as a position. It's just inexperienced. And uh, Cedric Peterson's played well, but a lot of the younger players are starting to step up like Curry. And I think that uh, I think that he is going to in the, over the next few games establish himself and and uh, I, I look for him to be a clear starter next year going in uh, coming out the gate you know right right at the beginning of the year he'll be a clear starter. Uh, Cunningham is a nice uh, weapon we have, but uh, I think I think that the, his size is a disadvantage, but uh, nice addition. Joiner's the one that I was thinking of that I've seen drop several balls, but he's gotten a little more consistent and I think that comes from just changing positions and I think he's going to be fine. I really like our receivers. I really like Johnson. I love, I love all of them. And I think that the biggest thing is just getting them a little more time. And, and if I'm disappointed about anything on our receivers is that we're not using Walma and um, as much as we should, because he has got hands and size and yes, he's a tight end, but we should be using him. <laughs> yeah, amen. Rich Rod never, never uses those guys to their potential. And yeah, it's a real shame to see Wilma not getting more opportunities to uh, handle the ball. And good point about, you know, I like you pointing out Booby. I, I think he and Jalen Johnson had uh, injuries limiting them out of camp, and so they're finally rounding into form. And, and to your point about uh, Dixon, he made that nice one-handed catch on Khalil Tate's uh, touchdown pass. So, you know, he's really, because early on, yeah, I mean, like in the Hawaii game, for instance, there was that tip ball that wasn't on Tate and that went for an interception. So those kinds of things I think really are uh, coming into shape. Um, correction, it wasn't a 53-yard uh, rush. It was 57 yards. So I don't want to short Tate four yards on his rushing. That's the 50th. Uh, excuse me. That's the ninth 50-plus uh, yard rush uh, for Khalil Tate. He scored on seven of them. Uh, he also has 12 passing plays for 50 yards or more. So Khalil Tate showing uh, in that Stanford game that he's sort of a boomer bust uh, character that we're all familiar with. Uh, we have 15 uh, rushing touchdowns in seven games this season. We had 14 rushing totals all of last season. To your point about Cedric Peterson and the receiving core, and he is a redshirt senior, so he's our sort of uh, one lone statesman there. He's averaging 18.88 yards per catch, which is second best average in the Pac-12. 
and uh, we're averaging 202 yards uh, rushing uh, per game. Um, we're one of three Power Five schools in the country who have averaged more than 200 yards rushing each of the past uh, four years. Um, so, just some interesting uh, stats. Um, that's a and that is that is that is funny you say that because that's a trademark of Mazzoni. Uh Mazzoni's offenses have always been almost balanced in yards to a point of two hundred yards rushing, two yard two hundred yards passing per game. If you look at his history, you'll find that his his history, uh, especially over over the past twenty years as a as a coordinator, he he his offenses seem to always have that two hundred yards rushing, two hundred yards passing, and that's what probably one of the things of balance on offense that makes him so popular. I, I, I going back though, I, like I said, he, he just hasn't evolved. And I think, I think everybody knows what's coming when they have him, when they face him and, and his offenses. So I think that it's old and everybody knows how to defend it. It's not a bad thing. It's just that he has to bring something new to the table. Yeah, I don't anticipate that happening. So uh, Taylor's, uh, like I said, at 3,030 yards. Uh, He needs uh, nine yards uh, to move into ninth, um, excuse me, seventh place in the all-time rushing list. He's currently at eighth. At 525 carries, he's the fewest of any player in the top ten. Uh, Khalil Tate has 5,892 yards in his career. That's seven both in the program. He needs another 90 to move into sixth. Uh, Tate's rush for 2181. Um, he's the 17th player in program history to rush for at least 2,000 yards. With 208 more yards, he'd uh, pass up Church for 13th all-time in Arizona rushing yards. Uh, he's racked up 8,073 yards of total offense, which currently ranks third. Um, he's 654 behind Willie uh, for second all-time in program history. And Tate's uh, pass for 55 touchdowns. That makes him third all-time behind Nick Foles and Willie Tuatama, who share the record at 67. Um, interestingly, um, uh, Jace Whitaker has 33 pass breakups. Um, that's fourth all-time in program history. He's two behind um, uh, th- uh, third place. And um, he had a pair of interceptions in the opener and then another against uh, NAU. So he has seven uh, picks for his career with uh, Colin Schooler. With 41 tackles for loss in just 33 games, he's tied with Rob Waldrop uh, for ninth all-time at Arizona. So those are all the records that uh, the Cats are looking to pass up as we uh, round towards the back half of the season. Yes, and I, I think uh, the point of Tate, I think that Tate's going to pass a couple of those players. I think the only way Tate doesn't move up on those tracks is if something happens and he ends up just not playing, um, which which is potential. But I, I see him having a really good game against Oregon State. I say that because of his abilities. I, I think if you look at Tate uh, this year, I think he stepped up against teams that weren't quite as talented yeah he, when he's not pressured he's and that's they showed that stat on the um on the um stanford game i can't remember the exact numbers but you know his his rating drops his percent completed drops his interceptions go up i mean his pressure versus unpressured i'm sure that's true for most quarterbacks but the stats were just uh glaring in tate's case yeah they they are very glaring and and there's a Stanford's having a down year. I, I think we talked early in the season, I, and I think I pointed out I predicted them to go six and six this year. And uh, 
people people just didn't believe that and I just I just didn't see the talent on that team to go much more than that you know they could get seven but I I just figured six and six and and uh, Tate knows a lot of those players because they played them in high school some of them were teammates in high school and then the, you had the seven on seven leagues and so Tate knows a lot of the players he's going to face in are these Washington USC games. But if you remember right, USC's got a lot of talent. Washington's got a lot of talent. Stanford's dropped off a little bit. I think he, I don't know if it's in his head that he knows these guys and they're pretty damn good. (laughs) If you see what I'm saying, and Uh he didn't want to take that beating against USC. So he didn't. You, you know, and maybe against the slower teams like an Oregon State, he's going to step up a little more. I, I, I kind of that's what I'm reading from what I look at him and how he's performed lately. He's performed better against the teams that weren't quite as talented. And part of it's because of his natural ability. But I think it's just his mental. I think it's a mental thing that he has said, oh, well, these guys aren't as fast. I can run on this guy. And even at Stanford, I can run on Stanford. But when it came to USC and Washington, it was like, up, oh, run Can't by, do it. yeah, yeah, run out there and uh, take a seven-yard loss, run out of bounds, and and I, I don't know if it's just something in his head, but. It's something, LG. Um, I was actually at the USC game, and a lot of those SoCal fans were like, what's going on with that? Because Tate was at Sierra, I think. And uh, they're like, what's up with that Sierra kid? I remember him being really good. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think that's an interesting theory. I hadn't thought of it quite that way. Um, Let's not digress in me prattling on about uh, Tate. I would like to... uh, Pick your brain a little bit, though. Uh, in the press conference, uh, Sumlin had mentioned that he was going to continue the uh, platoon, and you talked about specifically Tate um, maybe not hitting uh, those marks in all-time uh, stats because he wasn't playing. What do you make of the platoon, and, and how do you see it playing out going forward? Well, I think I think he's uh, – I think he already knows, you know, this season is not over. By a long shot, we still have a chance for a bowl game. And I think we can't, a lot of people have pointed out, we can't really depend on Tate to be there because we're getting into the bulk of our schedule, which we already have, but we, we've got some really good teams ahead of us. Utah's defense is for real. Oregon's got some real talent. Um, and ASU's defense is better than their offense, even though they had a meltdown this last week. I think that, I think that, uh, Coach Sumlin is Coach Sumlin is looking at the fact that we may have to have um, we may have to have this freshman quarterback play. We may have to go to him, so I think we have to have him play in every game. And I think that what we're going to do is we're going to see that uh, two quarterback system where we're going to go and switch up and switch up and switch up and and see who's playing better. And and, and my point is on there is that if if Gunnell is performing. If Tate's not performing, I think he gets pulled more, and I think Gunnell gets more time. Um, I, I just think that's what's going to happen. And as the season goes on, it's going to be Tate's going to have to perform well, or he's going to be on the bench more, and Gunnell's going to be playing more. And so, I, I see that happening. Yeah, I think um, as a coach, that's what I would do because you have to build for the future. Yeah, I think um, Brandon made the point like it, it puts pressure on him to 
to perform and and he looked adequately motivated in the Stanford game because you know it went two series for Tate two series for Ganell and and I you know I couldn't make hot or hair of it uh how it went other than that was the pattern early and then late in the game it was kind of uh um Tate's game to win or lose there at the end um so I don't know if that was predetermined and discussed with the um um with the players themselves, but it's interesting that it, it played out that way. And, and that may be how they, they continue to do it. Um, but Brandon kind of felt like, well, if one's hot, they're going to stick with the hot guy and, and that kind of stuff. Or if one's slumping, they'll probably skip the slumping guy. But um, it's, it's been, it's going to be an interesting process. Uh, we spent some time talking about that red shirt. I'm still kind of scratching my head about how it's playing out, but someone's got a curious history with quarterback. So no sense of making yourself crazy over that. And to your point, Oregon State comes to this game with uh, SP um, 35 on offense, 101 on defense, and 101 on special teams. So it's like a mirror image of Arizona. Good, good offense, uh, bad defense, bad special teams. Um, right now, Vegas has this game with, um, with, um, Oregon's, uh, Arizona giving up five and a half points, uh, and an over and under of 71.5. So Vegas is, uh, leaning towards Arizona and uh, they're expecting this to be and even more so than the home advantage. So they're despite the fact that overall in the S and P rankings, Oregon state's a little bit ahead of Arizona at set, excuse me, a little bit behind Arizona at 70 and us at 62. So it makes sense that Vegas has given us a few extra points besides a typical home advantage. Uh, but before we predict that game, um, LG, let's go ahead and spend a little bit of time and just, uh, take a stroll around, uh, the 12, uh, the pack 12, uh, open up a delicious 12 pack and take a look at some of the other games and get your thoughts on where these teams are at. Um, uh, first game of the day um, on Saturday is at 1 p.m. It's going to be number nine, Utah at UW. It's going to be on Big Fox. Um, Utah's given up three and a half points at uh, University of Washington with an over under of 47.5. You mentioned that Utah's defense is for real. What do you think about that game? Yeah, I, I, I just think Utah goes in and wins that game. And Washington's got a lot to play for. Um, I think Utah wins that game. Um, Utah's just solid. Um, again, a team that doesn't typically beat themselves. They did lose to USC, but, but yeah, that first PAC 12 game, maybe caught them sleeping a little. I don't know. That, that was an odd one. It does. It does really stick out for Utah the way they perform, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it really does. Because when you look at their season, if you take that one game out, they are what people thought they were all year. And yes, they had a couple games that were a little closer than some people expected, but they, they're not a big offensive team. They do enough to win, but their defense is what changes it. It changes by giving them good field position and making holds and getting winning the field position game and not making the turnovers and not making the mistakes. And when you look at the balance of that team, uh, they don't, they don't need, uh, they don't need to score 50 points to win a game. Um, Arizona, on the other hand, when you look at where they've been, they've in order to win their games this year, they have to score over 40 points, well over 40 points. In fact, Arizona State, going back to last year, we had 40 points on the board. It wasn't and quite it, enough, was it? It was one short. Should have kicked yeah. that extra point, right, LG? Uh, they should have. They should have. They should have. But they should have not turned the key off or took their foot off the gas. So yeah. I think that's killed them. But 
Uh, I, I, I usually refer to it as a killer instinct. Uh, we haven't had a coach with a killer instinct uh, that was just willing to put somebody away. Yeah, put the foot uh, on the throat. It's a nice guy to take the foot off the gas, and then somebody gets back in it. Um, and it would be nice to have someone that just wants to bury someone so we don't have to worry about those last-minute choke-ups. But, maybe uh, uh, maybe Cecil will be that guy on defense. He he certainly liked to bury people. So uh, you you think Utah's going to win? Do you think they'll they'll win by three and a half or more? You think they're going to cover that? I, I do, I do. I think they I think they cover that. Um, I think the over and under is real low on that game. Forty seven uh, and a half. So you think it's going to go over? You know. I don't think Washington's offense is that good, and I think Utah's defense is that good, and I I think Utah wins by more than three. I don't know that. I three don't and know half, three and a half, LG. I don't want you to get. I don't want you to get hosed on that half point. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know that Utah. I don't know that Utah scores thirty points in this game. So I, you know, or, or twenty five. But I got. I'm going to say the under in this game. I, I agree. Um, so got to go under. Uh, so on S and P, uh, Utah's ninth, and to your point, uh, offense is seventeenth, but that defense is eleventh. Not your typical Utah outstanding special teams at seventy eight, uh, but Washington sure is killing it with a, a number one ranked special teams unit. Uh, historically, he hasn't really gotten it together with his kickers. I find that number surprising based on what I've seen out of Washington, but I'll I'll listen to Connolly. But uh, Washington's offense is coming in at seventh in the nation with their defense ranked 32. So kind of a strange flipping of the script. But I, I don't know. My feeling for this game, like you said, I, I don't I don't see either team scoring that much. So I like the under. However, I'm going to go ahead and take a, a UW and get the points. I have a feeling away at at. Um, at Husky Stadium, UW might get up for this one, especially after losing that uh, game to Oregon, and and might really take it to um, to the Utes. But we'll see if the if the Utes sustain this, I'll, I'll finally have to buy into them this year. And and they sure have looked impressive when I've watched them. I just uh, for some reason I'm refusing to accept them as a legitimate uh, team, and maybe that's just me being stubborn. So. Uh, what stands out and puts a big stain on Utah right now is looking back at the USC game and how they lost that one. It yeah. was just like a mess. This is a Utah team that should win this game, even on the road, but this is a Utah team that could lose this game. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, well, and Washington's very talented. I mean, listen, they lost to Stanford, and then they came in and destroyed Arizona, and they're classically the Desert Dogs. They hadn't played well in the desert in, like, a decade. And so to come in and just eviscerate Arizona wasn't just about Arizona playing poorly. It was a lot about UW and, and sort of a, uh, a frustration. Uh, th- you know, statistically, they should have won that game against Oregon. Uh, the way the game flipped in the fourth quarter based on the stats was pretty uh, crazy. So um, UW, especially coming off a bye week with Utah coming up after that, uh, you know, pretty rough game. Um, um, uh, against Cal, you know, not as far as like being close or anything, but a big physical contest with Cal's uh, really strong defense on the week before that, a very physical game against ASU. Um, I could just see with the bye week and, and UW being upset about that Oregon game, I could see him truck stomping Utah, uh, but at the very least pulling out the win. Um, 
So let's move on um, to our game. Uh, we're not going to predict it, but it's going to be at 1.30, uh, Pac-12 Networks. Uh, so we'll predict that one at the end. Um, number seven, Oregon, is uh, on at 5 o'clock on Big Fox again. So lots of Fox games this weekend. They're at USC. Oregon's given up four and a half points with an over-under of 62 at SC. What do you think about that one, LG? You know, we, we talk about recruiting and the talent USC has. They have the ability, the talent. They have the talent. They should, by based on the sheer talent of recruiting and stuff, they should win this game. But, and, and I am not, Oregon's got a really good thing going right now. I am not a big Hubert fan. I, I They got him rated really high, but I just don't think he's that good. He, he <laughs> I, looks the part. He looks the part, but there's just something that's not there, uh, and and it goes maybe it goes back to the way he played against Arizona last last year. But he he even Arizona shut him down last year, so you just got to wonder what's going on inside the guy or where he's at. I, I think overall, I think there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. I think Oregon's going to win the game. I'm going to go with Oregon. Even giving up four point five or whatever it is, they're yeah, giving four and up four and a half, four and a half. Yeah, and, and I think the over and under is like sixty five, sixty two, sixty two. Okay, so I, I think this game goes higher than that. I think it goes well into the thirties. I think Oregon pulls it out in the end. I think they have they they just USC is just not clicking on all cylinders. Um, they did against Utah, but they haven't shown any consistency. I I got to go with Oregon on this one. Yeah, normally this would be the like SC run to save. Uh, well, I don't think anything's going to save Helton with a new AD coming in, but who knows? Um, and a I new agree. president there. Uh, but you know, normally this would be the time where SC would turn it on and just you know out talent teams. But Oregon's recruiting classes have been exceptional. I think you have to give some uh, credit to um, uh, what's his name up at Oregon, um, the O line guy. Um, Oh, let's see. Cristobal. Cristobal. I think you got to give it to Cristobal. I mean, they had that Willie Taggart mess up there, and I think I think he's kind of instilling some toughness up there. It's not all about the uniform changes. Like, listen, I'm going to vomit all over the place if Oregon, uh, you know, with all of Phil Knight's buy them a program money establishes both a consistent uh, elite football and basketball program because it's just going to seem unfair uh with all the years of sc and etc but um well life isn't fair so let me redact that statement but it's going to seem very frustrating um why wasn't phil knight a big tucson guy but whatever um (laughs) i I agree with you i think it's going to be oregon and i think they're going to score a ton and i think the over is going to hit too and, and i think this is going to be sort of the you know, the final damnation of Helton, not that it ever really mattered. He's probably been a dead man walking all season long, but this will sort of be the, well, you know. And it, not, not to jump ahead, I I think the final nail in his coffin, if he's still there, is I think UCLA is improving so much that UCLA is going to be needing a win to get bowl eligible at the end of the year. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, I think they'll knock off USC. If they were playing tomorrow, I would pick UCLA. Oh, that's and, interesting. And, and so I, I just 
I, I just think that that's what's going to happen. So I don't want to get way ahead of myself. We'll no, no. About- well, we're going to talk about C- CU UCLA next. So um, I think that's apropos. I mean, let's talk about it. So um, that game is uh, at 6 p.m. on Pac-12 Networks, Colorado's at uh, UCLA. Um, just to, before we move on, I just want to touch on Oregon's uh, 14th nationally, uh, 24th in offense, 16th in defense, and 110 special teams. So that could bite them with uh, USC coming in at – they're not as far down as you'd think they would be um, – 26th, uh, offense 13, which is just mind-boggling that they've been able to generate those offensive numbers and uh defense 49th and, and special team 30th and by the way did you see that uh running back for usc against arizona that kid's uh, uh the california state 100 meter champion and it's amazing that he hasn't gotten touches prior to that because he absolutely looked like the fastest kid um in that game and maybe in the pac 12 in that game and the fact that helton's been sitting on him uh harkens back to the uh but, sam uh, darnold yeah and it's gonna save his career but that didn't really pan out with fink and all those knuckleheads so but yeah this that kid was absolutely blazing let's see i'll pull up his stats um so go ahead and talk about what you think about ucla and and how that applies to that um to that situation with helton you think i mean he's going to be let go at some point right i i think so i i think so and you know usc if usc loses this game and they're they're five and four uh, moving forward, they've got a few more games before UCLA also. But, uh, you know, does USC jump the gun and fire him because of the changes in the presidency, changing in the athletic director and all that? Well, I don't think there. they've named an AD yet, have they? No, no, but it's changing. And that's where how fast do they get that in possession? And I don't think they have. And, and they how fast do they get that in position? And I think only because they haven't named him yet, I think he'll be there for the UCLA game. But I think that'll finish him off, if nothing. I don't think he's going to stick anyway. I think he's gone. Yeah. Um, unless unless USC miraculously wins this game and wins the Pac-12 South and ends up playing in the championship, I, I don't see any way they, they keep him. Yeah, and probably has to win the, the championship and go to the Rose Bowl again or something. Yeah, they would have. Yeah, I, I think. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Now UCLA, on the other hand, if we talk about the Colorado UCLA game, I, I think UCLA is building a confidence right now, and I think what they've lacked, I think what they've lacked that they finally got going, that little spark in them, is um, things are clicking with uh, the quarterback now, and uh, he's starting to pick it up, and he's he's doing real well. Um, you you might say he's I don't want to say Tate-ish from two years ago, but he's he's got his confidence in his legs and he's gotten his confidence in his arm. And I think the team around him has gotten the confidence. They begin they've kind of grown together. And I think that uh, they are right now UCLA is pulling together a pretty good team. And I think that uh, Colorado is going to be mismatched when they play, when they travel to UCLA this weekend. So yeah, that's so, what I. So uh, speaking of DTR, uh, Chip Kelly did say uh, that he's good to go after injuring his uh, left leg. Um, so that's a good yes. sign that he's going to be up and running. 
Yeah, that's yeah, that was a big key, and that's where I was looking at, and I I'd seen where he was had said that, and I was kind of like, okay, well, I I read it, I didn't see him say it, but I I read that he had he was good to go, and so uh, that's why I just with him at quarterback, providing he doesn't get injured early in that game, then anything can happen. But I think I think the confidence is at UCLA right now, and I think when you look at the UCLA from last year and UCLA from at the beginning of this year, I don't think they had that confidence, especially when they played Oklahoma. And oh man, they got shellacked in that game. Yeah, they they looked like they looked like a high school team out there almost in the fact that not size wise or talent wise, but in in the way they played, they just didn't look like they should be on the same field with Oklahoma. And a lot of that just comes from confidence. Yeah. They, I- I think that's a good point. I, I want to make the point that despite our, our little four-game uh, skid and uh, the changes with Yates on defense, I, when I was watching that Stanford game, and, of course, I turned it on the Pac-12 networks, and they had that cancer kid. His name was Cade or Code or something like that. And, you know, he's talking about surviving brain cancer and had a stroke, and he's giving the pregame pep talk to, to – uh, the Cardinal and I thought, well, we're doomed. It's it's over. If the cancer kids out there were were toast, and so it, it came to fruition. And the fact that Costello came back, I think, was huge. And that offensive lines had a little time to gel. Uh, so I, it wasn't such an indictment. But the one positive thing, uh, silver lining, so to speak, was when I watched our players out there, we didn't look overmanned, and th- and that's against Stanford. And I th- I still uh, feel like they're recruiting. Uh, is good, especially when it comes to like the offensive line and defense and stuff. And so guys like Tilford looked in place out there. Our receiving core looked in place out there. Gunnell looked in place out there. It wasn't like the typical Arizona where Tate looked like the only guy who could make the other team. And so I know there's a lot of pushback on uh, Sumlin's recruiting and even Yates for that matter. Uh, but I felt like our team, to your point about UCLA, not looking out of place, just not um, competing like they should. At, at least we looked like we had the physical specimens, and and you couldn't always say that during Rich Rod's time. So I felt like that at least was some positive coming away from it. Oh yeah, and, and I, just to touch on someone, uh, the recruiting someone's been doing. I, I don't have a knock on that at all. We have uh, when you look at uh, just to skip back to that for just a minute uh, the three star. We have all three star recruits right now. But I think when you look back at three star goes from like the 400th best player in the country to all the way like the 2000th best player in the country. Most of the players are three star, you know, that are recognized. But I think what you see with with the three stars that someone's bringing in is they are top 1000 players. Most of them. Yeah. And so he's bringing in three stars, but they are a higher grade of three star, you know, and. And they're they're rated a little higher, um, and so I think I think that the recruiting has ticked up just a little bit. Even though we're not nailing four or five star players, the recruiting has ticked up a little bit. I think the players are solid. I, I really like the addition of the JC players he brought in last year. Uh, I really like those uh, because they were kind of late additions in a position we desperately needed. Uh, and when you're desperate, you kind of just bring in whatever you can. But he was able to still get some decent players. So I, I, I think that moving forward, we only have, I think, 11 seniors on our team. You know, Yeah, I, I could uh, – well, we could pull that up for sure. 
I, I think it's 11, but some of those are walk-ons. And so I think there's three starters on offense and three starters on defense. And I, and I haven't looked, so I don't really know, but I believe that's the case. Um, so you got Tate and uh, Cedric Peterson on on offense, and you got one offensive lineman um, that we're losing. So let's uh, see here. Now I don't know that I can rattle off all the starters, but I I certainly so I've 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 filtered it by. So uh, Fitton Connolly, we're going to lose. I count him as a co-starter on uh, defense, especially at that nose tackle position because uh, it's him and Mason there. So. Um, and with his uh, uh, arm injury at uh, USC, I thought that really set back our, our run defense because uh, we don't have a lot of stoppers. We have some okay defensive ends like Justin Belknap, who's also a red shirt senior. Yes. Uh, Cody Creason, as you alluded to, is, is a, a red shirt senior um, who's been starting a lot. Terrence Johnson, wide receiver. Matt Aragon, punter. Cedric Peterson, wide receiver. We're going to be losing Jace Whitaker, and he hasn't had the kind of breakthrough year that I thought he'd have. Um, but, uh, you know, he's he was at one point our best defensive back, and he's kind of regressed. I'd put that on Burns at this point. But um, Malcolm Holland at wide receiver, Stephen Bailey on offensive line, uh, Lee Anderson at stud, uh, Daniel Egbo at uh, wide receiver. Uh, Tristan Cooper has been getting a lot of starts in the back there. Uh, is a senior. Khalil Tate's a senior. Uh, Chancho Ulola. Now, remember when uh, Chancho committed, uh, couldn't AQ at um, Stanford, and we stole him away. I really thought he was going to be a huge get for us, and here we are four years later. I don't know if he's going to take a red shirt and come back, but uh, that's that's a disappointing one, and that wraps up the uh, seniors. So not, not quite yeah. that bereft one, two, three. I don't know. What do you want to count Stephen Bailey, a backup? A backup. So a backup. we got. You're going to call Tristan a, a starter on defense in the backfield. Yeah, Tristan and and Whitaker both starters, and Conley's part time starter. Uh, so Tate starter. So that Whitaker's a starter. Peterson's a starter. Creason's a starter. Connolly a starter. So not quite that that much, but I, I certainly see the point you're getting to. I mean, if you if you start, uh, you know, that defense with the juniors is, should be pretty. Um, pretty sick i mean there's a lot of guys in that class and the sophomore class too gabe does a real nice uh, spreadsheet every year where he breaks down all the positions and arizona's had kind of this bimodal um recruiting you know we'll get a big bump and then we'll kind of have a low class and a big bump and so our junior and our freshman classes are by far our biggest so uh hopefully oh, yeah. i'll smooth that a little bit with someone yeah, we unless somebody leaves early, we return all our linebackers and and I, I've been a big fan of Pandy uh, since he came on to the. Pro- I, I think he's been the best. I, I think he's the best linebacker on our team. I've thought that from the beginning, not because he's better at one thing or the other, but he's the most versatile linebacker we have. He can drop back and covering man coverage on passing. He can also be that rush end and get in and put the pressure on. And he's stout enough that he can stand the running back up in the hole. That is a very versatile linebacker. And so I was always confused at why he wasn't playing. You know, we, we can go back and look at Griffin, the big four-star defensive tackle. We, we had nothing on the line. We had little bitty guys starting on the line, 248 Man, pounds. Transferred and did nothing. Yeah, and, and that Griffin did nothing. And 
he was our highest rated defensive player at one point and he oh, did well, nothing. Rich Rods, so one of the things Gabe does every year that I felt Telfer was gonna fall victim to, but he goes down sort of his his busted four star recruits under Rich Rod and it it's like a it's like a trip down heartbreak lane, uh with oh, yeah. all the guys that came through um that just had high rankings and never delivered. I mean it just absolutely when you've only got three or four four stars Man, you can't miss on all of them. You know, maybe one, but it just kills you because, you know, we you know we have the scoobs and the schoolers and that kind of stuff, but you're not hitting on enough of those to to make it so that you can just brush over a bunch of four star misses. Um, well, let's no, let, let's wrap up with UCLA and, and Colorado. Um, so uh, UCLA uh, 60th in S&P, offense is 50th, defense is 78th, special teams 50th, and then Oregon, uh, excuse me, um, Colorado 73rd, 23rd on offense, and 24th on defense, but the 117th ranked defense. This is a team that does better against the run, like we talked about, worse against the pass. We'll see what uh, Chip Kelly uh, comes up with. UCLA is given up six and a half, so they got to win by a touchdown. Uh, with an over under of 64 and a half. What do you think LG? I think it's over. And I think I take UCLA even given up six and a half uh, because I, I just see, I see, I see two trends. I see Colorado started off a little better than people thought. Remember initially they right. started off just like last and, year. Yeah. And then they got into conference play and they've really slacked off and dropped off big time after, after their win against ASU, they, they haven't done anything. They, they've lost four straight. Uh, UCLA on the other hand has a confidence about them that I haven't seen at UCLA in a couple of years and in several years. And I'm not a UCLA fan. So now that's where talent goes to underperform LG. Yeah, yeah, but but they have a confidence right now I haven't seen in them in a few years, and because of that, that disturbs me because I don't like that, but we got our win against them early, so I'm okay with that. But for once, the U of A I, actually I, benefit from the timing, right? Yeah, I think so. I, You know, and we... You know, you always see those teams, oh, they're starting a freshman quarterback. Why can't we get them early in the season? We get them late in the season. But uh, we've had a, a history of where, like, Costello... Costello come back against us. How many times have we seen that where players been out for two or three, four weeks and he comes back against us and, and has a breakout game. But um, in UCLA's case, I, they're on a trend upward. Colorado's on a trend downward and they're at UCLA and UCLA at three and five right now, still in control of their own destiny in the South. They have kind of a mission and I see them being at four and five after this weekend very uh, easily. I like it. I actually agree with you. So I'll take UCLA in the over two for pretty much the reasons you laid out there. All right, LG. Well, that ran an hour and 20 minutes, man. So I, I thought we covered a lot. I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, let's, uh, let's pencil ourselves in for next week and not let it be too long again and uh, try and, uh, you know, uh, take home the rest of the season, um, with some consistency on the podcast and hopefully the cats will, uh, lift us up and we'll have a lot of good stuff to talk to or talk about, uh, bear down, bear down.